What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Vicarious Experience Podcast with Ellis Hobbs. I'm your host, labor and employment and sports attorney, Michael Elkins. We are coming to you on the Believe Podcast Network, Episode 3. Ellis, what is going on? What is up, Michael, man? Good to be back at the hiatus last week. I uh, <laughs> it's, get, it's getting weird for me because my son is about to be in high school, and I don't consider myself old. But no, no, you're so old. Yeah, yeah, no, thirty nine. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I'm sitting there, and I just remember me being at like high school orientation, like me myself, like high school orientation, and now I have, you know, this is my second son going to be in at high school, but like, wow. like he has my name, so it's like okay, this is this is this is weird for me right now, but it, it's cool, man. It's a cool feeling. It's a being a dad. And you had to be at his high school orientation last Wednesday, right? Yeah, I had to be at his high school orientation for his classes and, and just kind of getting a feel for high school in general because, I mean, when you're not in that space, you're not really connected to that world of, like, what's going on, um, uh, like, parent portals, all this other stuff, what classes. And, like, I mean, it's it's a whole different space, man. But thankfully, I got a wife, man, and, and she's my, <laughs> so my, my, my better half, and she has all that stuff handled. So as someone who doesn't have any kids, I'm really divorced from that space. Is it yeah. all now? I mean, it's got to be all electronic. I mean, it's not like when we were kids. I would yeah. So, yeah. So through the natural progression of just time, um, like cell phones, it just continually evolves to more technological side, the technological side of things. Right. But COVID really accelerated a lot because everything had to be done remotely. And so information, homework. Um, none of my kids bring home paperwork anymore. It is literally all on the computer. And so you can literally check everything. Now, the benefit of that from a parent side is that uh, I'm not getting any forged signatures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing like forged grades, like literally on the computer. It is what it is. But uh, but yeah, I mean, a lot is now technology. And, you know, again, there's some downside to that because, you know, for you and I, I'm I'm a very tangible person. I like writing. I like writing on paper. I like to hear the pen on the pad. And so my kids, uh, Ellis, Ellis the fourth, he knows what cursive is, but a lot of kids can't read cursive. So right. if, you, if you ever want to trick a kid, just write it in cursive. <laughs> like they'll, they'll never know. They'll never know the difference. <laughs> I, I question if I could still read it, honestly. I mean, it's just yeah. not, you know, I, I, I probably could read it, but eh, See, maybe, maybe not. Maybe well, see, not. I, so I had a I have an art background, like I have a bachelor's in visual communication, fine arts, and so I actually enjoy writing. From time to time, if I if I'm doing nothing, I'll just write my name out like 50 times because I just like the flow of the pen with, with cursive, uh, almost like calligraphy. Um, I actually, when I was in sixth grade, um, the teacher sent me to the office because I was uh, signing my autograph to to uh to kids at my desk we had like a four like a quad sitting area desk of four kids and so i was kind of creating all of this um i guess uproar commotion because i had like a little league football game that everybody had heard about i mean being done pretty well that that weekend and so people wanted my autograph so uh she was <laughs> far, like what? far be it from you to deny the public yeah who, yeah i gotta <laughs> give it to the people right and so her name was miss huckaba miss huckaba brought me to her desk and she's like what are you doing I was like, I'm signing autographs. And she was like, all right, you're not supposed to be doing that right now. I went back to my desk and did it anyways and got sent to the office. And I handed her one. I said, you're going to want that one day. And then I went on, <laughs> Then I went to the office. I wonder true, if she still has it. True story. I, I don't know. I don't even know if she's alive, man. I hope she is. So uh, we got a great show tonight. Um, 
I, obviously, you know, we have to talk about the playoffs a little bit here. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. We, got we missed, we missed. Um, so we, we were on right before wildcard weekend. So we had wildcard weekend and we had the divisional round. So I have two main things. I'm going to ask them both. One, we have TB 12's exit. Yep. So I have a couple questions for you on that. Cause you played with TB 12. And it seems like everybody who's played with TB12, when he's about to exit, they kind of come out of the woodwork, right? I mean, we're not coming out of the woodwork, but like, listen, you know, the goat is the goat. And um, I know you have some. Yeah, I'm not clout chasing over here. So you can ask anything you want. I know know you have some TB12 stories. You've shared some with me in the past. So I'd like to get a TB12 story of some sort and what you think he might do. I have some thoughts as well. Then my other question is that, or I don't even know if it's a question. What happened to the Bills? I'm not, I mean, I want to break down the Buffalo Bills, but boy, that felt like a team that felt like a fan base and a team that was celebrating long before these playoffs ever started. And I want to kind of talk about conceptually that in as a, as a player, right? Okay. Cause you've, you saw that in a very different light, right? Super Bowl and all that stuff. I'm not saying you guys did that, but, um, and sort of like what happens when there's expectation and that expectation isn't realized, both from a playing perspective and then sort of lessons that that translates to in, in life. Mm. So, but let's start with TB12 because that's sort of the more fun, easier one, I guess. Um, yeah. So what do you I mean, think he's going to do? And and any TB12, I know you've shared some with me. I don't know if you remember the ones you've shared with me, but it, I mean, that guy's an animal competitor. At least that's what you've shared with me. So if you have any oh, yeah. stories about that, feel well, free. Well, yeah, man. So, I mean, in regards to TB, you know, Tom, he, like you said, man, he's a competitor through and through. And the athletic ability is clearly not there, but the work ethic far surpasses that. And I always hone in on that. Um, I like to use a quote of Will Smith to where um, if two people are on a treadmill, you're going to either have to get off first or die because it's just not happening with him. Like he's going to die on that treadmill. And so I would compare – his mindset and his work ethic to that. I remember being a rookie at the time, and I don't know if I had told you this, but um, and this is actually going to segue would be great for another conversation. You know, when we talk about gambling and sports in general, but um, it, it turned it, it was a friendly bet with a specific player in the locker room, and I won't name him, but um, they were shooting a Gatorade bottle into the trash can, and so they drunk half the bottle which typically you found like loose Gatorade bottles all over the place because nobody's paying for anything. So and th- this was 05. Your rookie year was 05, right? Yeah, this was 05. And so nobody's paying for anything, of course. And so it's like, all right, whatever. Let's just pick up this Gatorade bottle. And like during breaks and periods, guys would just set up an empty dumpster or, or, or a bigger trash can, like an industrial trash can in the locker room. And then guys would just shoot hoops. And like sometimes they would gamble off of it. They would bet, you know, $20, $50 here. Well, sure. anything with TB12 or, or some of the bigger dogs in the room, you know, the stakes get a little bit higher. <laughs> and so uh, with this situation in, in particular, uh, it was later in the evening time. People had already started leaving. I was a rookie. I had nothing to go home to. I had no family up there. I'm single, whatever. I was probably thinking about getting to the club that night or something or trying to figure out something to do. With, I don't know. I was trying to figure out something. But um, I mean, you make it sound sort of really sad. You had nowhere to go. No one. No, woes me, right? Yeah. You're a rookie with the Super Bowl champs. <laughs> yeah, no worries, right? No, no, no woes over here. But I'm, I'm sitting there getting dressed, and I just happen to turn around, and this this individual and Tom are, are shooting, doing the, typically what we see during the day, those little five ten minute breaks that we get. But I start hearing them like saying the numbers, and I'm like, that doesn't sound normal. That's thousand dollars a shot. 
And so I look up, now they're shooting like 2,500 a shot. And I'm like, all right, this is, you know, this is kind of getting intense. And so at one point, and again, man, I'm, this is just what it is. I'm not trying to, to fabricate this. Somebody was down $10,000. On, on shooting a Gatorade bottle into a trash can? Shooting a Gatorade bottle into a trash can. All right. And so this particular gentleman is up, you know, uh, on Tom. And I'm like, wow, okay, $10,000. That's that's pretty crazy. So I've seen him. Brady's down. Brady's down. Brady's down. And I leave it at that. I walk out because I ain't shooting. I'm on a rookie contract, whatever. <laughs> like, I want my little money. Right. And so I leave only to come back the next day and I ask, uh that player I'm like hey man did you end up collecting he's like man and right when he said that i knew he lost i'm like you lost and he was like dude tom would like he just kept going and raising the stakes i said well how much did you lose and so i'm not gonna say the number okay. but it was more than ten thousand dollars <laughs> and i'm like bro how in the world did that happen he was like bro he just wouldn't stop and so i say all that to say like i don't care what it is Tom wants to be the very best. Typically when you meet the most humble people in the room, because when you get, when you, when you've been around Tom or from the public perspective uh, with certain individuals, like a craft, like a Tom, um, you know, now you hear about the Michael Jordan stories, but beforehand it was kind of like this myth and like, he just kind of went about his day, whatever you find out these, these people are like the biggest assholes and egotistical people in the room. Like they're the most aggressive, they're the most alpha, and like they just go hard, right? Well, Tom's in that in that world. Like he's not an asshole by any means, but like right. he's a huge competitor, and like he is going to scratch, he is going to claw until you just, I guess, man up and say, "No, I'm not." He's not going to allow you just to walk out the room. He wants to win. Um, time and time again, we are in practice. Uh, he may be having a bad day off or whatever. He's just barking away, man, just barking away, uh, like talking trash about how sorry we are. Now, these are the number ones, right? We're we're the defense. And for the time that I was there, we were elite on an elite defense. Yeah, he's you talking about, were. Yeah, he's talking about how bad we were and like individually. Like he's just upset, right? But like it's he's just that much of a competitor. And so for whatever you're seeing now in, in the fruition of that and the maturation of where he is, I would say he's not who he is now if he wasn't who he was back then. Like, he cannot be a competitor at 45. For, for whatever we're saying about Tom, his age and everything, how many people do we actually know that could sustain this level of success? Um, the Buccaneers have put him in a, a huge predicament. They had put so much weight on his shoulders to, to, to ask him to create a win, a, a win, a, a playoff, caliber team at this age where really they should be grateful that he's able just to maintain a game but you're asking him to throw the ball i think that last game he threw it 50 plus times that's right yeah 50 plus times that's absurd like if you're throwing the ball 50 plus times with no running game um the defense isn't stopping anybody like i don't care who you are i don't care if you're tom at age 28 like that's a very uphill battle. And so for what we've seen and what we saw him go through this year, and yes, he made his mistakes. I don't want to take anything away from that, but he got to where he was even by scrapping and clawing to get to the playoffs because he's just that much of a competitor. I feel like you told me a story, but maybe I'm not hearing this right, but I have to ask because it's it's okay. always stuck with me. Did you pick him early on in your career in practice like a bunch of times one day? 
Oh, it was like bad. You, you picked him I, a bunch. I'm yeah. gonna let you. Are you okay to tell it? I don't want to tell it. If yeah, you don't no, no, tell no, it. no, no, no. It's cool. It's it's one of those situations where every 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 dog has his day, right? And I, <laughs> and I and I'm no different. I actually heard a buddy from mine from Philly. He they were they were laughing and joking about me. A guy by the name of Kenny Britt. He was roasting yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, he was roasting me in the Tennessee versus the Eagles game. Like I just couldn't do anything right. And like you know, as athletes. Um, those are those ups and down moments we have, right? We just gonna, they just happen. And so it was just my turn. And so for whatever reason, man, the ball would just kept coming to me and like I was picking it off. So they picked me up and carried me off the field and, uh, I'm yeah, I cheering. I don't remember how many picks it was, but it was a bunch that like, you picked yeah, up a few I, times. I mean, so we, I'm talking about all the way from, they were driving in. So it was, it was like, uh, short yardage to, uh, uh, red zone fringe area to end the red zone to the goal line and like you could tell he was getting frustrated I think it was like by this time by the time they got to the red zone I think I'd already picked him off three times and like you could tell like he was frustrated because he kept throwing it at me like Man. even when the coverage was there I'm like bro like this is like I'm clearly covering this guy like you're gonna throw it anyway <laughs> and so all he was trying to do was prove a point which I, I get it whatever and it wasn't happening that day and so I catch it and this and that so uh we continue on and like they carry me off the field and stuff but like you can just tell like he is hot he is heated and um you know i actually i actually got worried i was like man like is this dude like taking a grudge out on me now like you know this is i'm not a rookie anymore like we're we're well into our years like he's a vet i'm a vet so like we, there's a respect level there but i actually was worried that like he's taking this too far but it was one of those things man to where you really again it's, it's just one of those things to where he is relentless in his pursuit of accomplishment of perfection and just success in general. And he's going to bat his head on the wall. And I think there's a beauty within that because nine times out of 10, I would say even more than that, 99% of the time, people are just going to say, well, just not my day. I'm just going to keep going on. Well, he fought to the very end to build blew the whistle. And then, like I said, it was an uproar on defense. Like I said, they're carrying me off the field, and you know we're 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 over exaggerating everything and doing all this other stuff. But it was it was it was a fun time, but it was a, it was a real moment. At that point, you don't really see it for what it is, but hindsight, you see like how much of a competitor that this guy is. And so, coming out of that situation, there was a, another situation kind of similar. It wasn't me specifically, but the defense was having a great day. And then all of a sudden, like Tom threw a bomb or something like that, and like. Uh, the guy caught it. I can't remember what receiver it was, but he takes a pin. Like he acts like he's ripping a pin out of a bomb and throws it at the defense. And like, he starts crawling on all fours <laughs> to show story. people like that, how, like how intimidating he can be and, and like who he is. And like, it's one of those things. It was one of those moments, Michael, where you look up as the person that that's getting done to is like, okay, are we still, is this, are we being serious now? Like, is, is it going too far? But like, like it got kind of weird. It got weird. And like right. Tom kind of sits up and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, all right, bro, on to the next period. And like, we were like, we were over it, but Tom was clearly stuck in the past and like, you know, but again, that's his competitive nature. So real quick, do you have a prediction on what he might do, where he might go? Like I said, if, if Fox is waiting on you, man, go go be a legend, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Obviously, I don't want to see you, you know, ride into the wind like Michael did with the Wizards. But at the same time, if if, if you're able to play at a high level, which it, clearly he can, I just think um, at this point in time, 
like anybody in his position or age, he has to have the right pieces around him. Like it's not, it's not a build process. It's either now or never. The reason that team worked two years ago is because it was a now moment. The reason why the Rams worked is because they pushed all the chips in now. And so you're seeing this trend of teams who are successful are the ones who are willing to push in all the chips and say, we're not going to build. We're not going to strategize. We're going to take all of our guns and we're going to point them right here and come and find us or come and get us. But we're shooting this way. And that's what we're going to do. I think seeing what happened in Tampa, that that very, very steep decline from the Super Bowl team to now, which is only two years, really is a testament to what happened in New England for 20 there was yeah. never, there was never, that was, that was, that kind of a decline that, that never happened. And, and that's, well, a, that's kind of incredible when you think about it. Well, it shows you how difficult it is to win. It shows you how difficult it is to win and be a playoff contender every year. And when I say a playoff contender, I'm not saying like falling into the playoffs because your division is terrible. I'm saying being an elite contender and like, like battling it out. Like they were at home and they were not the favorite. Um, you know, they limped into the playoffs. Um, a few teams did like the Bills, which we'll get to in a second. But like when you have that steep of a decline, it, it, it just shows you what they were aiming at initially when they created that team. And so when it comes to the salary cap, you know, players, negotiations, all that stuff, all that stuff factored in after the fact. But best believe in the war room or on the administrative side, all chips were pushed into the front of the table. In that in the in that first year that Tom got there, because in reality they're looking at it like, listen, we might not get another year with him. We right. we have to do what we need to do right now, and there's an energy that comes with that. For everybody that hates Tom and everybody that's hated the Patriots, they only hate them because you're against them. That's but it's true. like it's like the girlfriend that you can't date. <laughs> she she's ugly right. until she's with you. That's right. That's yeah, right. she's she's, she's terrible. over she's overrated. She's overrated. Oh, she she's a jerk. I heard she farts in her sleep. Whatever, <laughs> right? All of a sudden now she's looking your way and like, man, like this is the best thing ever. She smells like roses, everything else, right? So he brought a, a certain level of energy with him. Now that can only sustain itself for so long. It's it's kind of like anything else. I need help. Help me help you. And so if everybody else isn't doing their part um along with factoring in the adjustments of the league everybody else is starting to make the adjustments everybody else knows strengths and weaknesses and this and that you know it, it, it's it's not gonna last if you're not strategizing the right way and you're right to your point earlier um again it's even a bigger testament to what the patriots were able to sustain for 20 years uh one last point on this and then we'll move on but i think if he's gonna hang it up i think the best story i'm not saying this is gonna happen there's rumors what one more one more ride in New England. And so in New England. I heard you say that. I heard get, you say that. Get DeAndre Hopkins in there. Sit Mac for a year. I, I mean, mean I listen, man, for, for what the Patriots are going through, here's how crazy it's gotten in New England. I just randomly saw a post by the kid uh Parker, the receiver. Yeah. Advertising for himself, talking about how he he wanted to be everybody keeps talking about catches and receivers well hey guess what you have a receiver in me this and that he did that on social media mm. um going i don't know on his instagram page whatever like that's unheard of in patriot land so that's how that's how loose it's gotten around there like i don't know if he was reprimanded for that or anything but like he basically was saying like he's the guy so like like he wants to be the guy he's the guy whatever have you right and so 
for where the state of the Patriots are, why not? Like, what's the worst that can happen? Why not? I, I <laughs> listen. It would be it would be the biggest story. It would dominate sports. Oh my! It'd be huge. Listen, listen. For whatever, for whatever people, I always say this. For whatever, whatever you want to say about sports, what does that paycheck look like? What does that bankroll look like? That would bring in so much money. The storylines, like you talked about, in and out. Um, the celebrities that'll come out to see this, like the like, it's almost like a Rolling Stones last tour, man. Mick Jagger is like he's doing his final slide across yeah, the but, floor. I mean, you'd be putting the band back together. That's the part you put the band back together. Bill Brady he, and Belichick, yeah. and you know, right? If he can stick around long enough, Bill gets the most wins record with Tom. I mean, yeah, it's a great, it's, it's a, a great it's a story. Cinderella, Cinderella ending, man. I I think the only caveat with that is obviously you can't bring back. Uh, his coordinator, uh, Bill O'Brien, he's the coordinator right now. He's back. He's back. And so there, there there might be a kind of like a soft seventh grade junior high dance with that in the beginning to try to figure that out. But, um, you know, there's also the thing of where I heard that he wants uh, – or not he, but there may be some sort of spark flaming with uh, the, the Raiders as far as getting back with well, Josh yeah, McDaniel. Sure. And, and Devontae Adams is there. I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's a lot so, going on there. So, again, it, it comes down to – the success that you've had and what you're used to versus are you able to put the pieces around me now to be successful now? Right. And like dealing with a rookie, dealing with young guys, I don't know if that's in the cars that he wants to play out because it could potentially be something to where um, he might not want to do that. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's a 0.001. Oh, we have a visitor. Oh my gosh. Hi there. Is she gonna Zoe. join the po- is she gonna join the pod with us? No, she literally just wants she, to say hello. She, she, she should come say hello. I bet oh. people would want to see her more than us. You know what? She's trying to show me she's trying to <laughs> she's trying to she's trying to be slick about it. She's trying to show me her hair. Like oh. she, yeah, yeah, her hair because it's purple and blue now. For those of you listening, you obviously can't see this, but if you go to the Believe website, B-L-E-A-V, you can watch the show on that webpage. Oh, Oh, and then she's trying to do, I think, her little schoolwork. She's trying to create her Valentine box, too. So oh. she wanted she wanted some paper out of daddy's office. So <laughs> the life the life I live. <laughs> it's kids coming in and out, man. It's all good. We'll just we'll just have them as guests on the show. Um, all right. You don't want that. You don't want that. <laughs> I think we I think you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the bills. I'll, I'll tee it up and then I'll I'll let you go. Here, here's my thought. And it really is two two points to it. We talked about it earlier, right? You have a, a team that I feel like a team and a fan base. I'm sure I'll hear from Bill's Mafia on this. That basically had anointed them mm. in the beginning, did not live up to expectations at all for whatever no. reason. What's that like as as a player? And then how do you translate that? What lessons do you get from that in terms of business and life afterwards, if any? So before I say that, I want to. I want to put out there as a precursor all respects to DeMar Hamlin and the situation that happened with him. Of course. But anybody who is trying to say that that was the distraction is just lying to themselves. If you look at the, if you look at the course of a month or so prior to that situation, the bills were already in a decline. Agreed. The best example I can give was the Minnesota game. Absolutely. Where, Josh Allen was making mistakes left and right. And the last mistake that he made cost him the game, the interception, right? 
he was on the decline before any of that. And again, I, 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 I try to stay away from these things, but there's such just great analogies and just great information from the, the, the career I had where I constantly would hear from Bill and when he would talk to us in team meetings, it's like, listen, August is great. We're leading into it, the expectation. September, okay, cool. October, eh, all right. November is where we should be trending up. If you look at them as a team and just overall teams in general, their success is predicated on what they do from November on. And so the team that can can gain and sustain the momentum are normally the ones that are able to ride into the playoffs and keep that momentum going and give themselves a fighting chance. Obviously, you know, once the playoffs start, that is what it is, right? But the Bills actually remind me. So what's interesting about the Bills is, like you said, they definitely stamped their ticket at the at the beginning of the season, as well as America. They did all that, right? I yeah. But who they remind me of, maybe not in the beginning because nobody knew that they were going to build up towards that, but the San Diego Chargers in 07 when we played them, in 06. <laughs> oh, that, that, you're talking about that, that divisional round game? The divisional round oh, game, yeah. What, listen, that's an underrated game in Patriot history, by the way. Listen, underrated by a substantial amount. These guys had the parade already mapped out. Uh, we got intel that they were already celebrating. I mean, they were on such a huge momentum ride. They got the top running back in the league. You know, all respects to him, LaDainian Thompson is being a Hall of Famer. All the pieces are there, right? So, like, you got the scroungy Patriots who are typically piecing it together anyway with, you know, some either At that has, time. Yeah, has-beens or no-name guys. or Troy guys Brown that, playing yeah, defense. <laughs> over the hill, whatever have you, that are coming into Qualcomm Stadium. And like are going to get walked all over. Right. Well, we all know what ended up happening. And so I think that they started to buy into we're destined for this. And I think the DeMar Hamlin situation actually propelled that forward, that notion, because when they played the Patriots in those two kickoff returns and just those magical moments, which they were great moments for sport history. Right. But I think it was actually detrimental to their mindset of like, we're destined for this, right? Where you have to always put in the work. Do not take anything for granted in this league. And by the way, when you look at that game against the Patriots, talk about trending downward. They scored 14 points off kickoff returns. Off kickoff returns, right? That offense was not clicking. And the Patriots, I think in that game, the Patriots offense, which was dreadful this year, had, I think, about 341 yards of total offense. The Patriots... The Patriots uh, lost that game more than the Bills won that game. I agree. I don't think that was the Bills' finest hour. And people forget. You look at the score and you say, oh, they they handed, they handled the Patriots. They didn't handle the Patriots. They just no. had those two kickoff returns. They had those two kickoff returns and they had the momentum. And if you go back to the podcast earlier that we talked through, that was the only thing that I was like saddened by for the Patriots. I was like, listen, you guys were going up against something that nobody wants to face, you know, like momentum, energy, right? Um, Pre-death, whatever you want to call it. But those types of situations typically don't work in your favor no matter what you do, just because like the energy is riding so high. That's why when you talk to athletes in general, and even when I talk to my little leaguers and stuff, sometimes 100% effort cures 99% of mistakes. And so in this situation here, unfortunately, the effort uh, against the Patriots is what brought the Bills over the top. But outside of Stefan Diggs, there was nothing really incredible that 
I would say the Bills have been doing for the last couple of games or what have you. I think when they lost Von Miller, that was a huge blow to the defensive line and just putting pressure on the quarterback. As great as McDermott is, as far as uh, his history as being a D coordinator, uh, Leslie Frazier being a great defensive coordinator as well. Um, I just think that a lot was going on and that uh, I think I even heard it uh, with Tony Romo and those guys on CBS. They were talking about um, against the Bengals, like you actually, before the Domar Hamlin situation was going on, you actually, like the game was trending in that direction anyway. The Bengals were, were controlling the ball. They were doing their thing or what have you. And then boom, that situation happens, right? So really the Bengals just picked up right where they left off. And so unfortunately with Bill's Mafia, you know, again, they may try to, to use these other these other storylines or what have you, but the reality is is that the Bills weren't the team that we thought they were um, at the end of the season. And that's why I guess that's why you play through the season and you play the game, right? Because you have to prove it week in and week out. So and, and you've experienced some of that too in your career. What are the lessons that you take outside of sports and how do you apply what are you how do you apply that? to life afterwards, whether it's in business or with your family, how do you apply the, the lesson of, you know, keeping the right mindset and maybe not achieving the, the goal you thought maybe you were destined to achieve? So one of the, so one of the greatest things that uh, one of the relieving things that I heard Josh Allen talk about was just got to get back to work. Just got to get back to work. Right. And as boring and as like, uh, as that sounds, that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about being able to align that or correlate that with regular life or just life outside of sports, that's some of the things that I was talking about earlier in our in our earlier podcast of like, those are the intangibles that you can take out and align in other ways. And if you've played sports long enough at a high level, you've been disappointed. You, 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 you've had your failures. You thought things, everything that you did, right? And, th- and that's the reality of the situation, Michael. You can do everything right, but there's that one thing that you can't control or just that person that's just having that day, that Kenny Britt in your life, or just that, um, you know, any other situation, right? Burrow is having an amazing game. The Bengals have 30-plus first downs. Uh, whatever it is, right, it's just something is just not going your way, and you still have to, one, fight through that situation, which is tough in itself because everything in you wants to quit. Everything wants to say, you know what, uh, let's start over. And, and the best example I can give of that is our kids that play video games or grown people that play video games. You can just cut that switch off and just restart the game, right? In life, you can't do that. And so – That's a really my, good point. That's a yeah, good analogy. Yeah. I mean, from that's the reality of the situation, right, to where um, I think that's what the – that's where our, our state of the world is, where we all feel like if I can just cut that game off or just press the reset button, but the reality is that you can't do that. That mistake was made. You're in this situation. You're down X amount of dollars. Um, the business failed. Um, life is you know, beating you up. Your family has left you. What are you going to do now? And so me having pretty much a lot of those moments or like similar moments, it, it's, it's, it's digging deep inside yourself and aligning that moment with an experience of where you overcame it within sports. I got back up for the next season. I got back into the next play. After that situation that I've had a failure or fumbled the ball, I came right back and got on the horse. And I think that's the best way to approach it, right? To where try not to mull over it, but just get back into the flow and just get back to going again. You mentioned about about going back to work. I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit because I think it's very true. It happens to those of us that are entrepreneurs, you, myself, and I'm sure everybody else where it most days it's not your day. I mean, no. the successes hopefully overshadow that, but people don't see that there are plenty of days where you're like, I, I, I got to do something else. 
and you want to go back to work. But I do think there's a difference between working for work's sake and doing the right work. Absolutely. Efficiency. If, yeah. Exactly. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you learned from playing professional sports relative to working the right way versus so, just working to work. So the best way that I can give you an example for that is now that I, I'm a frequent gym member at like, I guess, the civilian gym whether it be the YMCA or LA fitness, what you see a lot of in there is quantity over quality. You see, sure. Yeah. You see a lot of people doing a lot of reps, but they're doing them the wrong way. And so I've been pulled over or I've been pulled to the side numerous of times. And people are like asking me like, Hey, like I noticed like you don't do everything else. Like everybody else, like, who are you? Like they'll get very inquisitive. Right. And so what I, what I talk to people about in that, you know, two to three minutes is that, Show me someone who can bench press 350 pounds, but they can't even do five push-ups. I show you someone who's very weak. And so being able to control your own body weight, that's efficient, right? To where if I can move my muscle mass, being at I'm 202 pounds now, like I played at like 196. So my, my body weight really hasn't fluctuated a lot. And so being able to do, you know, 10 push-ups after a hard grinding workout or 10 pull-ups, right? That there is more powerful and strong or a show of strength than me being able to bench press 485 twice, right? Because I can go longer and be stronger for a longer period of time. When you talk about aligning that with business and being efficient, and that's, that's a work in progress that I've continually honed in on to where I'm waking up. We talked about this offline. I have a long day in front of me. That day is not going to change, but I also have personal things that I have to do as well. And so I got to figure out how am I going to do those personal things, be it working out, being meditating or reading while doing everything else. So in the morning time, I I can't afford to wake up and sit there and watch um, the morning news for the next 45 minutes. That's 45 minutes that I can't get back. I need to either be in a in the in the word, the Bible. I need to be in a book. I need to be sending those emails because that time that I'm wasting is going to be time that I want on the back end. And so over time, with some of the mistakes that I've made in business, I've continually honed in. And I heard a great analogy with that to where the reason why the military uses military time is because it's very easy to segregate into four-hour segments or into right. to, to small to, to smaller segments. So when you're looking at the course of a day, which many people get defeated by this, for some reason, people fabricate this notion that they have a different 24-hour clock than other people. Everybody gets the same 24, but what are you doing with that 24 hours, right? And so by segregating into those four-hour segments, I can get this done, I can get this done, I can get this done, whatever it is moving forward. After that four hours is over, I'm moving on to the next. And so as I continually went on and started to be more efficient with business, I started to see better quality of life uh, as far as like the time that I thought I was missing, I'm not. And I'm able to give it fully to my family because when I was in this four hour segment, I was giving my all to this one thing. I was doing it with quality rather than trying to jam it all in there in a two hour time span while watching TV, while playing with the, with the kids or doing X, Y, and Z. When I'm here, I'm here, right? And so over time, what you start to learn as, 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 um, in business, like I continually are saying, is that this is no different than sports. That one rep that I do the right way is going to benefit me so much more than just closing my eyes and just throwing the bar off my chest or bouncing it off my chest, right? Because you're not really there. You're not, you're not really gaining the value of what that rep really means to you.
Yeah, I, I think that's a great analogy with with working out. You know, I I do CrossFit, so it's a little different than like LA Fitness, but it's the same concept, right? It it actually, and I don't do it well, but I do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it it taught me a lot about efficiency, which I never considered it from working out. I just figured you just go work out, and then right. I started doing CrossFit ten years ago, and and suddenly the coaches are talking about this is the most efficient way to do this. This is the the proper way to do this, but it will also uh, give you more efficiency in your workout, which will allow you to do more, which creates you know a better uh, a better workout. And then I took that and sort of thought about it from a business perspective. It's sort of the same thing, and it seems so simple, but it's something that I think people miss. Yeah, the man. Concept it, of efficiency. Because it's so easy, it's so easy to miss, right? Because it's something that we would take for granted to where it's like it, it's it's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to where less is more. And again, going back to the gym where my 45 minute to an hour workout is more than people put in for three hours because of the intensity right. that I'm going at and like the focus that I'm giving to it. So it's no different than business. If you have something to do in business, you know, there's a deadline or you have to execute something, giving your full 20 to 25, 30 minute focus to it is going to be well more worth it than you trying to spread that out over the course of a day doing piece by piece. Because overall, you're not doing yourself any favors by extending it out because other things are continually starting to pile up on you as well. And so being efficient with your time, again, that's why I love sports, because sports correlate so real, well to real world scenarios. And I think that's why I personally feel like I always have an edge when I walk in the room, because I've been able to, and I've been afforded the opportunity by the grace of God to to dance in both worlds. Is it difficult to understand and learn at first? Like you said, absolutely, because you don't really no one really teaches you this. But when you start to have those aha moments and you kind of take a step back and look at the painting and like, wait a minute. This looks like this, but it's two different things. But if I take that one thing that I have that this person doesn't, I can merge those worlds together. And so by having that catalyst, that in-between of what I have, I'm able to merge those worlds and be comfortable in any space. One more question, and then I think we could probably wrap it up. What are your thoughts on, speaking of efficiency, on multitasking? Mm, that's a good one, man, because I dance in and out. So here's me what too. I, yeah. But I, I I have I have some very specific thoughts, but I'd like to hear here here's what I say about multitasking. Multitasking has to come with mindfulness. We have can, to we have to be it? A, it, no, it's it's not a can, it has to. I think that there has to be a governor because what I think what we is again, it's that double-edged sword. It's it's what I said earlier in, a, in an earlier podcast. What has allowed us to be successful in sports becomes our curse at one point. But if we learn how to wield that sword, it becomes our adversary again. So I 100% believe as an entrepreneur that you have to be able to multitask. But there's a certain cap space or a limitation that it has to go to because sometimes we can get too far out there with too many tasks and nothing gets completed, right? And so you have to be able to shut off that switch and say, hey, I'm going to multitask, but until these items get done, nothing else can come into the room because the more you keep packing in, the less quality you're going to get out of those first items or ex of execution. And those items may just get pushed off to the side. And so I think for me personally, that's where meditation and mindfulness has really started to come in because it's like, okay, Ellis, what's going on here? Like, 
why do you feel like everything is overwhelming? This isn't like you. Okay, let me take a step back. Okay, well, wait a minute. I added this in and I added this. Okay, I see where this is coming from. Let me go ahead and shut that down right now. And, and what I start to do is I prioritize within the multitasking to say, okay, do I really need to be doing this right now? No, that's a that's a project three weeks out, but this one has to get done. That goes into the bucket right now. And I start to pick and choose. And so having that capability uh, or that understanding to do that is is very vital, I believe. So I have a little different take, but maybe maybe we're viewing multitasking a little differently. So I okay. look at multitask and I think, okay, I'm working on whatever it is I'm working on and something comes in and then I switch to that immediately because, oh, I can take care of this in two seconds. Mm. Then I go back to the thing I'm working on. Then some other thing comes in and I'm like, oh, I got to answer that email. And I answer the email and then I go back to the thing I'm working on. Is that, I, so is that, is that you prioritizing or just saying, or just rationalizing like this can get done pretty quickly? I think that's a shitty way for me to do business. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you want to call it, but I don't think it's good. <laughs> so I'm trying, I've been working it, it, and it's not a, it takes years, right? To not do that. So I, I find myself having to consciously say, I'm not doing anything else. I don't care what it is until I finish this that I'm working on right now. Whether it takes me 20 minutes or two and a half hours, I'm going to finish this thing and then I will go to the next thing. And maybe what I'll do is knock out a series of those three or four minute tasks, but I'm not going to interrupt this, whatever I'm working on to deal with these little one minute or two minute things. Mm. It's like a compulsion when something comes in to almost be like, nope, I need to respond. In reality, you don't need you don't. to respond. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't. And I think, so So extending off of that conversation of what, or extending off that notion of what you're saying, I think that's where the the time when nobody is active becomes very beneficial for me oh yeah the, me too the, same thing the, the willingness to get up at three in the morning to execute those little to-dos is where i excel at and like by the time eight o'clock nine o'clock rolls around i've cleared out half the day and yeah you still have those emails and things come in like you said and and, and you know all honesty i do very off the path sometimes I actually heard I actually heard a, a good uh, scenario like this to where look at your life like a stove. Right. And there's there's a part of your life or a part of seasons of your life to where you want all of those burners to be burning brightly at one time. But in order to get this to get done, one of those burners is going to have to burn stronger. And so you don't want these to fit. You don't want these other three to fade out. And so you keep them at minimal. But you have to put attention on this one. Right. And so that, like, I look at that as a multitasking scent. And have I stumbled and fumbled with that? Absolutely. My wife has had to sit me down many of times and tell me that I'm losing myself. I'm losing myself within the work or, you know, this isn't necessary. I'll be up at two in the morning planning on getting up at four with a two hour nap. And she's like, she'll just text me. You're doing too much. And so like, it's kind of like a snapback. And I know you don't deal with that because of from a, from a family perspective, but it's like those day-to-day -day kind of reality checks. And I, I actually asked her to help me with that because yeah. I don't, I get, and I think that's important too, having accountability um, and partners within that, because it's, it's kind of similar to trading. Like we were talking offline. So many people in my space, for those who don't know, I'm a day trader as well. They, they think whatever they lost or lost in the market or whatever they're gaining, they think that it's going to quench their thirst. And what I mean by that is if they were to win or if they were to profit $500, $1,000, $50, and that was their goal, right? 
I assure you, once you obtain that, you're going to want more. And so what you have to say to yourself in reality is that, okay, whatever I think I'm missing out on or whatever I think I'm wherever I'm adding this right now, once this gets accomplished, it's only going to be the next thing up. The next door is going to open up and the next Pandora box is going to have that next scenario in it. So I have to be responsible with myself enough and adult enough and and just uh, accountable enough to say, listen, when I'm in this, I'm going to give it my all. But in reality, something else is going to come right around the corner. So let me enjoy the moment. Let me take my time and do this the right way and be ready for the next versus having this anxiety of the what if factor. If I don't get this done, this and that, because what I'll, what I'll say, this is the last thing I'll say about it. The what if puts people in a, in a, in a very dismal place. It put me in a very dismal place with business because, because I was unhappy with the progression that I was making, which really in reality was, is part of it. The journey the progression in itself, I wasn't happy with my family. I wasn't happy with my with my way of life, how I was acting, what I was doing. But looking back, I'm more happy now with more on my hand, with more on my plate, because I know how to execute it in such a way. And if I don't get to it, I don't get to it. But I know that eventually I will if I just continue down with the process that I have. Before, I didn't really have a process with it. I'm just, I, somebody called my name. I'm like a dog. I just I just turn and run. I just turn and run, right? And then I come back only to see that they didn't really need my attention like that anyway. So having that level of discernment, I think for entrepreneurs is very, very crucial. Someone like yourself who, who's you know credible in your space as a lawyer, I mean, just that ability to prioritize and say, you know what, it's, it's not me being a dick, but I know how to use the word no effectively now. I saw, I saw a post yeah. that you put Instagram. You yeah. know, like, people thought I was coming in on MLK Day, right? They got me twisted. No, I'm not coming in. Yeah. And there's confidence within that. Yeah. I have learned, especially in the last probably two to three years to say no a lot more. And people yeah. don't like that. I mean, I've, I've had people, I've had potential clients call me or text me or like, you know, they're a friend of a friend of a friend and they, they text me and I'm totally fine with that. Right. But they'll say, well, can you just answer this one question real quick for me? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I can't. No. And it's it's not that I'm some special person that I'm super busy. I am busy for my life. I'm not saying no because I think I'm great or anything. I'm saying no because I have other things that take priority. And if I'm happy to talk to whoever, but we got to schedule that time. Yeah, treat, I, treat I can't me just... like a business. Treat me like a business. You can't, like, God rest his soul. But if your iPhone wasn't working, you cannot call Steve Jobs. You cannot ask these jobs to help out with that iPhone, right? And so I think the the negative the negative space within what we're talking about that's for athletes is, um, and this was hard for me, is because we're the people's champ. We're the hero. We're the hometown hero. We're mama's favorite. And so us saying no is like the crushing blow to like people. Like, wait a minute. You're supposed to always say yes because like we look up to you, right? Yeah. But in reality, I can't be who I am for you if I don't say no. That's right. And so, unfortunately, people don't understand that. But even us as athletes, we have to come to realize realization of that. Yeah. And that no is not a bad thing. It's just no. this is how I have to operate in order to be who I am. Yeah. And there's obviously a respectful way to say no. Of course. Uh, but But it's amazing how people don't like it when you're protective of your time. Yeah. And is it, and have you ever had this happen to you? Cause it's happened to me time and time again, not, not anymore, but I found myself saying no, and then giving all the reasons why 
It's like you, it's almost like you feel yeah. ashamed of it. It's like, hey, well, no, I can't. And here's why, you know, I'm with my family, this and that. Where now it's like, no. And they'll be like, well, it's just one quick question. Hey, man, if you want to schedule something with, with me, I'll send my link over and you can find the times available within my schedule. But other than that, I can't help you right now. And then I just get off. Yeah, I, I used to provide the reasons why, of yep. course, because I felt like I owed this phantom person that. And But really, you don't. If we're talking about a business situation, they, they're not owed an explanation. It's I go with a simple no, would be happy to talk with you. Let's schedule a time. And, and, and the constant reminder I give to myself is if I didn't pay my light bill, they're cutting that light off without an explanation. And so I need to act <laughs> as if I mean, I treat yourself like a business. And I think because we have these relationships, um, these personal relationships, we go in and out of those. And I think people. I would say I'm, I'm going to give them the grace. I'm going to give them the grace and say they unconsciously do it unknowingly, but they leverage the personal relationship in business to gain advantage of our access to our access. Yeah. And, and it is our job to continually shut that door and say, no, no, no. When we're in this space, treat me like a business. Like I have friends and I have associates now to where we will talk and we'll talk about pricing and like they have a service or something like that. And I'll, I'll start the conversation off like, Hey man, whatever your cost is, just let me know. I don't want to, I don't want to be treated as a friend in this situation because of if, course. There's, if there's a discrepancy or something going on, I'm going to hold you accountable as a business owner and a from a service standpoint. So treat me the same way. I, I truly believe, and I, and I would love to have another podcast about this in general, which I put into our topics about, us failing as athletes because we don't know how to get into a business space and stay in the business space yeah. where we, we start to merge the worlds of friendships and teammates and then things go awry. I think that happens time and time again. You know, I find from a, from friends or look, my clients, they are free to, and they know reach out to me 24 seven. These are my clients. I find it's the unknown people that are the most demanding. Not oh. my clients. My clients that have been with me for 10, 15 years are the least demanding. The, they they the, have they have the questions, but they're not, they're like, hey, are you available? The ones that the ones that you don't know and the cheapest ones. The normal <laughs> the, the <laughs> ones that pay the one that pay the less are the ones that are constantly nagging you. You know, it it's it's really the unknown people. It's the new, it's the incoming people that I don't know. Right. Um, that are able to text. And I'm fine with that. I have no issue with that. I, you know, my cell phone is my lifeline, but they want to talk immediately. No, and I, I can't talk immediately. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm not even sorry. I just can't. And they tend to get upset about that. Yeah. That's I use, yeah. I use the strength of reference. If you got to refer, if you got me by reference, then you're going to have to trust the fact that that person that gave you to me is, is happy with what it is. So if you're not happy with this process, then just stop right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I mean, it's usually not even from from my perspective though, it's it's not even people that got me from it's just a random some I mean my cell phone's everywhere. It's it's on my website, it's everywhere. So anybody can reach out and they'll be like, "Hey, I got your number and I really need to talk. Are you available right now?" No. I'm not available right you now. Should, you should you should you should tell <laughs> in that with, "Are you ready to pay?" <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, are you ready to pay for my time? Like, yeah. yeah, I'm a hard ass when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> yeah, listen, I you know I I certainly make sure to get comped for my work, and I'm happy to talk to people for sure. And I don't necessarily charge every time I need to talk to somebody, mm. but um, yeah, it's it's really these kind of unknown people that I have no connection to that always want to talk immediately. So I think it's really interesting about the power of no. 
Yeah, power of no. Know, I think it's tremendously important. Well, look, I think we covered a lot of ground tonight, and we've actually got a lot of ground to cover in our future episodes. So, As indeed, um, you know, this was this was amazing for everybody who's listening to the show. Please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and give us a five star rating and a review if you can. Remember, we're also available on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, or everywhere else that you get your pods. You can definitely follow the show on social media. You can follow follow Ellis on Twitter at Ellis Hobbs. He's also on Instagram at Ellis underscore Hobbs, H-O-B-B-S underscore three. You can follow me on Instagram at Melkins1, TikTok at Melkins1, and Twitter at M-L-E-3-1-1-7-5. TikTok. Ellis, you got anything else? No, man. Yes. I got to get a TikTok. You got to get a I TikTok. I, no, I think I, I got one, but my daughter used it. So again, family life. Um, she probably knows me. how to use it better than you will. They know how to use everything better than I do. I don't. I don't. I don't try to even battle them on that. I just. I was just upstairs before the podcast, and my my oldest daughter said, "No one uses the word dope anymore." And like, I was like, "Yo, that's dope." And she was like, "Nobody uses that, daddy." And so, <laughs> again, I can't keep up with all this stuff, man. So whatever. Oh, uh, that is hilarious. Yeah. No one uses the word dope anymore. All right yeah. then. All right. On that note, we'll call it a night. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Feel it's my time, think it's my...